chapter 59. We're going to get right into the word of the Lord tonight. And uh, <clears throat> I know that in our last lesson, I did not finish my notes, um, but I, uh, preparing for tonight's service, I just I really felt like, at least for the time being, I've covered everything in that lesson I needed to cover, and rather than go back and pick it up again, there are some other things that I want to talk about tonight. In fact, um, back in October, the last Tuesday night before my wife and I left for Africa, I taught a lesson uh, to this church that I entitled The Significance of Standards. And we talked a lot about holiness standards, their importance. And I made mention at that time that I uh, intended to come back and deal with some things again and uh, just never felt it until today. And I really feel like this is the direction that I need to go tonight. And um, so we're going to look at some things here tonight. I'm going to try not to be redundant, try not to cover again too many things we covered in that session, but there are some other things that I think will help us, I really believe will be a benefit to us um, in helping us to understand uh, situations that, that uh, we see. Let's go to Isaiah 59 and we will read one verse of scripture there, Isaiah 59 and verse number 19, Isaiah 59 and 19, this was also our text in the lesson that I mentioned on the significance of standards, uh, Isaiah 59 and verse 19, the prophet said, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him when the enemy shall come in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord is going to lift up a standard against the enemy. Praise God. Amen. We talked about this verse uh, in that lesson. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that tonight, but it is, I think, important for us to understand that this is, this is God's method of dealing with the devastating flood tide of the enemy. This is God's way of keeping his people safe. God lifts up a standard. Praise God, Amen, Amen, Amen. And um, so we're gonna we're gonna talk tonight. As I said, our 
The lesson that I taught back in October, we titled The Significance of Standards. Tonight, I'm going to title this The Setting of Standards. The Setting of Standards. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift our voices, lift our hands. Let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. Could we do that? Everybody, let's talk to the Lord right now. Nothing that I do is going to have any lasting, eternal value. God, if you'll help me tonight, if you'll use me tonight, God, then I know, oh Lord God, that you, God, can be glorified and that your people can be strengthened and established, oh God. Lord, I pray that you would help me tonight, God, to answer questions that perhaps some may have. Lord Jesus, would you direct my thoughts? Would you anoint my lips tonight? God, speak through me, God, for the sake of this people, I pray. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Could we just love him one more time, everybody? Could we give God some praise before we're seated? Can we give God praise before we're seated? Come on, let's lift our voices to the Lord. Let's give him some worship tonight. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, in the lesson I have referenced, the significance of standards, I discussed at length the need for standards the importance of having standards. We talked about what a standard represents, the reason why a church has standards. Amen. I, I, have, I have pointed out to you God's uh, command for separation. I've talked to you about the importance of maintaining a distinction between the church and the world between men and women. Amen. Um, we've talked about uh, the, uh, the importance of having standards. And so um, I, I, want to just, I want to just try to uh, give you maybe one more point about uh, the importance of these standards before I get into the real main uh, purpose of tonight's lesson. I, I want to tell you that one of the reasons why we have standards of holiness is that they provide for us a very essential form of protection. Amen. They are a form of protection. You know, we are, we are quite removed from uh, the mindset of uh, many settlers, especially uh, here in Kansas. Uh, you know, this is, this is the old cattle trail uh, country, uh, the crossing of the Santa Fe and Oregon trails right here in Olathe. This is, uh, this is where a lot of the stories that we read uh, of the Old West took place. 
You know, one of the things that went on in the Old West with the cattle and, and the moving of the cattle was that many times uh, people would have cattle that were just free range. They just roamed at will. And, and the problem would be some rancher would come in and he wouldn't know uh, whose cattle belonged to whom. And uh, yes, they, they, uh, they would brand them, but brands were easily changed. Uh, they were easily remarked. And, uh, and so something else had to be done uh, for the sake of these ranchers and, and uh, the, the cattle that they were raising uh, as their livelihood. And so they decided that the best thing they could do would be to build fences. And they put up fences uh, to serve uh, the purpose of protecting the inhabitants. Now, this protection worked two ways. Uh, it kept the enemy out. That was, that was the main idea. We're going to keep the rustlers out of here. We're going we're to keep uh, folks from just taking uh, our cattle. It keeps the enemy out. Out. It also kept many of the wild animals out of that ranch. But it also guarded the populace within, keeping them from roaming to dangerous places that they did not belong. Praise God. Amen. So it kept the enemy out and it protected, uh, amen, what belonged within. Hallelujah. Standards of holiness do the same thing for us. First of all, they keep the enemy out. By establishing guidelines that, that, that uh, meet what Ephesians 4.27 tells us to do. Neither give place to the devil. Don't give place to the devil. I'm going to tell you, this is one of the reasons why we have holiness standards. We know where the devil's territory is. We know what things the devil feels comfortable operating in and around. And by setting a standard, it gives us a parameter. Don't go any farther than this. Beyond this mark, there's danger. Beyond this mark, you become vulnerable for the enemy. Well, hallelujah. Amen. I, uh, you know, it, it, uh, uh, when I lived in Colorado, one of the things that would amaze visitors, especially visitors from the flatlands, we would take them up. Uh, we lived in Canyon City, and, and there was a place that we loved to go uh, in Canyon City called Skyline Drive, and it, it went up 800 feet uh, above the city and and I used to love to drive up there especially in the evening as the sun was setting and I could look out over the city and see the lights of the city below and uh, uh, I, I love to be up there and, and pray over that city uh, sitting at the top of Skyline Drive now when when you go up Skyline Drive it's a one-way street uh, you, everybody's got to be traveling the same direction the reason for that is because there are points along Skyline Drive where there are no shoulders. 
The road is as wide as it gets up there. And, and one of the things that amazes folks, as I said, especially flatlanders, uh, they get up there and say, where are the fences? Where are the rails? Where are the guards that, that ought to be protecting us? And, uh, and they're surprised that they don't exist. Uh, I've, I've actually taken men up there and had them really pray. Uh, in fact, I've had some make commitments to God. God, if you'll get me down from here, I'll never come back up here again. When you're setting, especially if you're in a van or a pickup truck and you're up a little high and you can look out the window and, and you can see down 800 feet out either side uh, of the vehicle there, it's, uh, it can be a bit unnerving. Amen. And, and why they, they don't put up fences, I don't know. I, I don't know, but they don't. But I'm going to tell you, there's something about having a fence there that you feel a sense of protection. It's not that that fence is really going to protect a vehicle. If that car starts to go over, that fence is probably not going to stop them. But there is a sense that you feel protected knowing there's a boundary. Some years ago, some years ago, James Dobson wrote a book and he talked about uh, how important it was that parents set rules in their families. And, and he, he talked about a study that was done where they took a group of young children and, and uh, they, they had them at uh, daycare or something there and the yards were fenced in and, and the kids would play but they'd be up climbing on the fences and they'd be looking out and somebody got the idea that you know these fences are prohibitive they are they, they just they hinder these children and, and so they decided that they would take the fences down and Dr. Dobson said that what they found was when the fences were gone most of those children huddled near the building they felt afraid they were scared to go out too far. They didn't know where the boundaries were. Well, hallelujah. Now, I can tell you, there would come a time in the life of those children where they're not going to be afraid. They're going to get out there on their own and most likely make bad decisions. Right? Listen, church, I want you to understand there is a sense we ought to feel of safety when we walk into a church and know there are standards here. There are fences that are here for our protection. And, and, and listen, we, we, need to, we need to see them not as confinement, not as restriction, but as protection. Are you hearing me tonight? We need to understand there's a clearly defined uh, line of demarcation. This is as far as we need to go. Beyond this fence, beyond this line, it can get dangerous. Now I'm going to tell you, where you set the fence uh, can, can be somewhat arbitrary because you can go out just a few feet from the building and put a fence or you can take it to the sidewalk or you can put it up against the street now now 
you know, it can be argued that, that any of those are just as safe as the other. And I'm not here to, to, to discuss that so much as I am to tell you that we just need to be thankful that there are fences. We need to be thankful that somebody cares enough to set some guidelines and establish some boundaries. Hallelujah. You know, you know, the devil would like to put it in our mind, well, you just don't trust us. If you trusted me, you'd just let me do what I want. And I think any parent, any parent uh, that has raised at least one teenager uh, understands the fallacy of that kind of argument. And if you don't have some boundaries, if you don't have some clearly defined lines of demarcation, the natural tendency for exploration, for wanting to learn, will inevitably take carnal nature further than it intends to go. But if there are lines, if there are fences, if there are boundaries, then we know as long as I stay within these lines, I'm going to be okay. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Neither give place to the devil. That's what our standards are trying to do. We want to keep the devil out. And there are just places where he feels comfortable roaming. There are places where he feels comfortable operating. And if we can keep our fences on this side of where the devil's comfortable then it provides for us safety and protection. Amen. Now, not only does it keep the devil out, but there is something else that comes with this protection. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, we talked about this in that previous lesson, but let's look at it again. Isaiah 6, verses 3 and 4. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, look, the glory of the Lord began to move as the angels proclaimed God's holiness. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, this is what holiness standards do for the church. They protect the glory of God on the inside. They not only keep the devil on the outside, they keep God on the inside. Hallelujah. Just as the devil has places where he feels comfortable operating, there are places where God feels comfortable operating. And I'm going to tell you, I want this church and I want my life to be a place where God chooses to operate. Where God feels comfortable. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to protect the glory of God. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. 
and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I've said it before, but it bears repeating. We only have the promise of paternity as long as we maintain a passion for purity. Did you hear me? We only have the promise of paternity as long as we maintain a passion for purity. God said, I'll be your father. You'll be my sons and daughters if you don't touch what is unclean. If you'll come out from the rest of the world. That's the only time we have a right to lay claim to him as our father. Right? You know, you know, Jesus stood before the Jews and, and, and uh, began to make some statements to them about their father. And, and uh, uh, they said, you know, Abraham's our father. And Jesus said, if he was your father, you would do the deeds of Abraham. You're going to act like your father. That's what he said. And he went on to tell them, your father's the devil. You know, I'm telling you, it's amazing really. People get so offended at so much anymore. I am telling you right now that if Jesus himself were on earth pastoring a church, very few people in today's society would want to be a member of that church. I'm telling you the truth. Because all he's going to have to do is get up once or twice and tell you, you're acting just like your father, the devil. Or say, why are you bothering me? It's not fit that I take the children's meat and give it to dogs. And today's snowflakes would melt immediately. That's right. I, I, this actually happened that I was telling somebody the other day, I, I read a headline where some department store or city, I, I don't know, somebody, I forget the details now, but somebody had, had an advertising piece saying, I'm dreaming of a white something. And people claimed it was racist and made them take it down. Um, when obviously the reference is to snow, and in case you haven't figured it out, snow happens to be white. I mean, at least in its original form. Well, hallelujah. But people get so offended at so much anymore. that They're looking for things to get offended about. And I'm just telling you, Jesus didn't, Jesus did not cater to the easily offended. In fact, you know, he, 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 was, he was saying, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And the people got mad and walked away. 
And Jesus didn't try to chase them down. He didn't go begging them to come back. You know what he did? He turned around to his 12 and said, would you like to go too? Now, I'm just telling you, church, you know, we, we have this, this traditional mindset of a sissified Jesus. And he was not like that at all. And, and even here, when the apostle Paul begins to write, it's clear that the Lord said, come out, be separate, don't touch what's unclean, and then I'll receive you and will be your father and you'll be my children. But if you won't do that, don't call me father. It's just the way it is. I'm telling you, we only have the promise of paternity as long as we maintain a passion for purity. First John chapter 2, verse 15 says this. Love not the world. Love not the world. Neither the things, neither that, are the things the that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you're in love with the world, you've got a problem. There's a shortage of God's love in your heart. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. A love for the world shows an absence of the love of God. Romans 5 and 5 says this. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love, the of, love God of God is shed abroad is in our, shed abroad heart in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Is given unto us. So follow what I'm telling you. If you love the world, you lack the love of God. If you lack the love of God, you've got a shortage of Holy Ghost in your life. So if you get full of the Holy Ghost, that means you're going to love what God loves and hate what God hates. And if you get full of the Holy Ghost, you're not going to have to worry about the world having an appeal to you. When the world starts appealing to you, it's time to hit the altar again. It's time to get full of the Holy Ghost again. Amen. I'm telling you, the more full of the Holy Ghost we become, the more we love God. The more we love God, the less we love the things of this world. The less we love the things of this world, the more we recognize God's fatherhood in our lives. And the more we recognize his position over us, the more we proclaim his holiness. And the more we proclaim his holiness, the more we experience a move of his spirit. It's a progression, church. This is the way it works. Hallelujah. If we'll get full of the Holy Ghost, God will put within our hearts a love for the things that he loves and a hatred for the things that he hates. And when we get to that point, I promise you, God's going to feel comfortable around here. So we maintain standards not just to keep the devil out, but to keep God in. Praise God. So having said that, let me, 
Let me talk to you about holiness standards. Just, just some practical things tonight. I, I'm not expecting folks to run the aisles as a result of this lesson, but, you know, I've said many times that I've found, and, and, and I, I hate this, and I'm not, I'm not castigating anybody, but in my many years of ministry in, in, in so many places across the United States, I've found that even in apostolic circles, there are very few people that really understand why we live the way we live. Really, what I've found is that in many, many circles, people are just told, you do it because I preach it. You obey them that have the rule over you. And that's a valid scripture. It's valid, it's, it's inspired, it's right. But listen, there are reasons why we do the things we do. There are reasons why we set standards the way we set them. Hallelujah. Now, 1 Corinthians 14, 33, read, read that for me. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of confusion. But of peace, as in all churches of the saints. God is not the author of confusion. And I'm telling you that if there are just random standards, as I've seen in some places, if they are set arbitrarily, it brings about confusion. And division within the body of Christ. Sincere people who really want to conform to the right models and ideals of the church end up getting hurt. They lose their direction. They don't know where to stand. They don't know what to believe. I've watched this in homes where where parents uh, parented. I, I don't know what else to say. Governed. Uh, ruled strictly by their emotions. If they're in a bad mood, you can't do that. If they're in a good mood, it's funny. I've seen that. And the child never really knows where the lines are. They never really know whether, whether it's right or it's wrong. It all just depends on how daddy's feeling today. Or how mama's day went at work today. And, and unfortunately, this same thing happens in apostolic churches. And it shouldn't be that way. I think that if we can understand, and this is why I want to take the time tonight. Um, and, and I really, I think I can do this in one night. I don't think I'm going to have a problem finishing this lesson tonight, though I've got a lot of ground to cover. I really think I can do it in, in one night but, but I just feel like that you as saints of God, if you know why, why we arrive at certain standards, how the standards that we believe and, and hold dear to our heart, why they are set, I, I just believe that it will give you more peace of mind, more stability, more of a, de- of a desire to obey. I've found that people will do what they understand most of the time. 
There's always going to be renegades. There's always going to be rebels. There's always going to be the hard-headed and the stubborn. That, that's, that's, you know, it's kind of like Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. Well, I want to tell you, the hard heads you'll have with you always. It just, it's going to be. It's just going to happen. And uh, it's, it's a fact of life. But I believe that most of, of God's people really have a desire to simply understand. And once they understand, it's not a problem to obey. Well, praise God. So we're going to talk about tonight, we're going to talk about six ways that, that standards are set. All right? Six ways that standards are set. And, uh, and let me give these to you here tonight. First of all, and this is, this is foremost, some months ago I, I taught about the, the, the premier precepts. Anybody remember that? There are some things that take precedent over others. And, and, and I want to tell you, this is number one. This is number one. In the setting of standards, nothing supersedes this one. All right? And, and that is simply that the word of God sets standards. There are some things that are just clear. They are black and white. There's no ambiguity. There's, there's no confusion. There's no gray area. It's just clear. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Nobody's got to explain that. Nobody's got to interpret that. Nobody's got to give you a Bible study on what that means. Right? It's clear. It's set. Now, at some point, I probably will give you a Bible study on the best ways you can protect yourself from falling into that trap. But when it comes to the standard itself, it's clear. Right? Thou shalt not bear false witness. Clear. The word of God is the first and foremost way that standards are set. And I want to tell you, and, and this is important that I drive this home, because as we get into other areas, other ways that standards are set, none of those areas allow the kind of leniency where you could contradict this first one, and it'd still be all right. Any standard set by the word of God, that is set. There's no negotiation. And I don't care that it's 2018, almost 2019. I don't care if it, if it is 3019 before the Lord comes back. If it's written in the word of God, it's settled. Forever. You understand what forever means? It's forever settled. I don't care how long history goes on. I don't care how long the world continues to exist. The word of God is forever settled. And if the word of God sets a standard, it is set. And nobody has the authority to change it. 
Well, praise God. You see, the word of God is the mind of God. It, it expresses the will of God for all of humanity. When, when we read the word of God, we know what God thinks about certain issues of life. We talked about in a previous lesson, in fact, I think it was last week, that there are some things God just says, these things are an abomination to me. God says, I absolutely detest them. I hate them, extremely loathe them. And when God says that, and we know that's the way he feels, then I don't care who it is, they can't change it. They don't have that right. It's, it's the expression of God's desire. It's the expression of, of how God feels. And when we know how he feels about things, then we know there's a standard that has been set. And I'm telling you, the knowledge of God's will through his word is the greatest treasure that we have. This book, this book is the most important tool for the spirit-filled Christian. We understand the principles of God that are established in his word. It helps us to define many of the standards of the church. Because many of them, many of the things that we do are clearly indicated in the Bible. Now, there are some things that are built upon Bible principles, not a clear Bible statement. All right, and we'll talk more about that in, in a few moments and how uh, that can come into play. But there are just some things that we look at Bible principles. And though the Bible does not say, for instance, thou shalt not smoke cigarettes. There is a principle that we talked about last week with the protecting of the temple of God. Right? And we know, we know that nicotine is destructive to our temple. It's been proven over and over and over. And so when we light up and decide to smoke, we are knowingly doing damage to the temple of God. Again, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not smoke cigarettes. But there's a Bible principle that we can use. All right? A Bible principle. And, and the more that we apply ourselves to diligent study of the scripture, the more that we understand and appreciate the standards that God has set for his people. Uh, some things we talked about last time, we'll talk about it again. John 14, verse 15. I'll try to go through these fairly quickly. John 14, verse 15. If you love me. If you love me. Keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. If you really love him, do what he says. Don't try to argue with what the Bible says. Right. Just do it. John 14, 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, that's the one that loves me. And whoever loves me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him 
and will manifest myself to him. John chapter 14, verses 23 and 24. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. He will keep my... Look, how many times does Jesus have to say this before we get it? This is all in the same chapter. He just keeps saying, If you love me, do what I tell you. If you love me, obey my word. If you love me, keep my commandments. Hallelujah. Read on. Let's finish it. And my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me, he that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the father's which sent me. And so verse 24 settles the question. Anyone who does not keep his sayings does not love him. Are we going to argue with Jesus? I mean, I guess you can, but it'd be kind of futile. You're not going to get anywhere. You're sure not going to convince him on judgment day. Just, just ask the guys in Matthew chapter 7 how well that goes. You, you know what I'm talking about. Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and done many great works in thy name? And he said, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That word iniquity is, is in the Greek. It is lawlessness. He said, depart from me, you that don't keep my word. That's what it means. In fact, I, I don't have time to get into this, but, but just if you doubt it, go home and read Matthew 7 and see the context of that story. And see, he, he talks about within the same context, the wise man that built his house upon the rock, the foolish man that built his house upon the sand, and the difference between wisdom and folly was obedience. Look at it. He said, the one that hears my words and doeth them is a wise man building his house on a rock. But he that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, he's a foolish man who's building his house upon the sand. The difference between wisdom and folly was obedience to what Jesus said. Amen. 1 John 3.10. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whos and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Wow. D do you I mean did did anybody catch what the apostle John just said? Did did anybody catch what he just said? In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, colon, in this, colon. So what he's about to tell us is how you know whether somebody's a child of God or a child of the devil. That's what John said. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. So what did he just say? If you don't do righteousness, you're a child of the devil. That's what that verse says. If you're not doing what the scripture tells you, if you're not doing what God tells you, you are 
a child of the devil. And just for good measure, John throws this in too. Um, also, he that doesn't love his brother, he's also a child of the devil. So, um, if any of you have got a problem with your brother or your sister, you might want to find you an altar and, so you can get a new daddy. Well, hallelujah. I told you I don't expect you running the aisles tonight. But I am trying to give you some practical teaching here tonight. So first of all, the word of God. Everyone say the word of God. That's first. That's first. The word of God sets standards. And those cannot be altered. Those things are set. They're settled. All right. Secondly, the spirit of God sets standards. Now, let me explain what I'm telling you. There are times when we are faced with situations that, that go far beyond the scope of those things that were known to man when the Bible was being written. And there are times when we have to rely on the Holy Ghost to establish some guidelines. Now again, don't misunderstand me. The Holy Ghost is never going to negate what's already established in the Word. Those things are settled. But there will be things that may not be specifically addressed in the Bible that we need to know is this good or is this not good look I've I have I have even recently um, some weeks ago walked into a place of business and I told my wife I said I this has been I don't even know how many weeks ago but it hadn't been that long maybe a month or so at this point and 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 I, I said I, I told her I said I don't feel comfortable in here I just don't feel comfortable. The spirit in me is grieved. We got to get out of here. Now, I, I don't have Bible telling me, do not walk in this place of business. And it wasn't a bar. It wasn't. In fact, I don't know that they even served alcohol in that particular place. It was just something about the atmosphere and the environment that I just felt uncomfortable. And I'm telling you, there are times when we may not have a black and white scripture that says, don't do this, but we've got to be sensitive enough to the spirit of God to let the Holy Ghost set some standards for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We've got to let the Holy Ghost establish some guidelines. In fact, let me, let me tell you, I said a while ago, we, we talked about nicotine and cigarettes and, and, and uh, we've got a Bible principle. Now, let me, let me clarify something. Today, we have a Bible principle we can use because today we know that nicotine is harmful to the temple of our bodies. But do you understand that our forefathers in the early days of Pentecost here in North America didn't have a warning from the Surgeon General. Didn't have studies from medical facilities. 
And yet they got up and preached against smoking. On what basis? The spirit in them was telling them there's something unclean about this. Well, hallelujah. There's something about this that's just not right. Now, time came that we got the evidence we needed that the spirit was right all along. Hallelujah. I, you know, I hesitate to get into too many specifics because um, I know these things go out on the internet, but let me, let me just, let me tell you one more. When, when television first came out, our forefathers in, in the apostolic Pentecostal circles immediately took a stand against it. Now, I'm going to teach a whole lesson on not just that because that's almost becoming a thing of the past. We've got so many other ways to do the same things today. We're going to deal with all of that in another lesson. But, but, but back then, that was the thing. And our forefathers got up and preached against it. And, and on what basis? What, what scriptures could they use? Because I'm going to tell you, I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when television, if it showed a married couple in the bedroom, they both were clothed completely and they slept in twin beds with a nightstand separating the beds. I heard, I heard old brother E.L. Holly make a statement. He said, when I was a boy, the only kissing that I ever saw on television was when Roy Rogers kissed his horse. In the early days of television, there were three networks that controlled everything. And those networks had a board of censors that anything that was questionable was taken by those censors. It, it, it involved uh, leaders from the Jewish community, from the Catholic community, and the Protestant community. And those three religious uh, communities had this board of censors. And everything that was going to come across television had to be cleared by those men. And that's back when those churches actually held to some standards. And they didn't allow cussing. And they, they didn't allow anything off color. Are you hearing me? There was nothing evil that was being portrayed on television when it first came out. And yet our forefathers made a clear stand against it. On what principle? The only thing I know, Brother Hilton, is that men of God prayed and said, I don't feel good about this. I don't know why. 
I don't understand it, but the Holy Ghost in me is grieved by this thing. And you know what? It was the right decision. Because once it came into the home, it wasn't long before the censors were removed. And it wasn't long before it didn't matter what words were used or what kind of situations were shown. And now, and now, and even, even for many years, you know, some of the more questionable things would be late, late night stuff when they felt like the kids would be asleep. But not anymore. Not anymore. Now you've got open homosexuality. All kinds of perversion. Not just sexual innuendo, but far beyond that. Being openly promoted. And I say thank God for elders who were sensitive to the spirit. And said, don't do it. And listen, saints, we've got to, we've got to understand there are going to be times that we, we don't understand. We don't know the reason behind it. But we've got to be sensitive enough to let the Holy Ghost set some standards. And not try to argue with it. Not try, not try to, to, to find a way around it. But let the Holy Ghost guide us. And establish some things. Amen. We got to be led by the Spirit. Romans 8, 14. I'm trying to hurry. I'm trying as to hurry. many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Whoever's led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Galatians 5, 16. This I say then, walk, walk in, the spirit, in the Spirit. And you shall not, and you shall not the lust of the flesh. Well, I'm going to tell you what. There's a promise right there, church. There is a promise right there. You want to talk about safety, protection, uh, guidance, there it is. If you'll walk in the spirit, God promises you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. If you'll just walk in the spirit. Hallelujah. That's why it's so important that you start your day with prayer. Get lost in the Holy Ghost. Let the Holy Ghost guide you. Um, Galatians 5.25. If we live in the we spirit, live in the spirit, let us also let us walk, in, walk the in the spirit. Let us walk in the spirit. Amen. I don't have time to get into this, but you know, for years in Pentecost, I'd, I'd hear people talking about whether or not somebody was dancing in the spirit or whether they were shouting in this. Well, they weren't in the spirit; they're in the flesh. Let me tell you: if you'll walk in the spirit, you don't have to question whether your your shouting is in the spirit. You'll walk in the spirit. You don't have to question whether uh, your dancing is in the spirit. You just walk in the spirit, all right? That's the key. Learn to walk in the spirit. Number three. So first of all, first of all, the word of God. Everyone say the word of God. Number two, the spirit of God. Everyone say the spirit of God. Number three, the man of God has to set some standards, has got to be allowed to set standards. Exodus 19, verses 12 and 13. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people Now, this, this is the instruction from God to Moses. 
God said to Moses, you're going up on the mountain. I'm going to meet with you there. But Moses, I want you to set bounds unto the people round about that mountain. Saying, take heed to yourselves. Saying, take heed to yourselves. That you go not up into the mountain. Or touch the border. Or touch the border. Don't even touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death. Whoever touches it is going to be put to death. There shall not an hand touch it. Not a hand. But he shall surely be He'll stoned. He'll be stoned. Or shot, or through. shot through. Whether it be Whether beast, it's beast or, man, or man, it shall not live. It shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. Now, now look. A couple things you need to notice. First of all, God says there are some places you just shouldn't go. There are some places that if you go, you're going to die. So don't go there. But secondly, I want you to notice that God instructed Moses to determine where the bounds would be. You ever seen a mountain? You ever, you ever seen a mountain? Now, I've been up to the top of Pikes Peak. I've been up to the top of a few other mountains. Pikes Peak's 14,000 something, I don't know. Um, but I'm going to tell you something. I, I wouldn't have a clue if I were asked to tell you where is the boundary of Pikes Peak. Where does it start? Most mountains, first of all, are not standalone mountains. Right? I mean, I know when we were, you know, in preschool or kindergarten or whatever, we'd draw a straight line and we'd do this inverted angle and this was the mountain and boy there's the vertex right there you can find that point where that mountain starts but that's not really the way mountains are but it was the job of Moses to determine here's where this mountain starts God said don't let them even touch the border where is the border of the mountain how do you know? How do you find the border of a mountain? I submit to you, it's not physically possible. But this was the job of the man of God. So here's what I want to tell you. Moses loved those people. As we can see, when he would stand before God and plead for them. Moses cared about them. And Moses understood, if they touch it, they're going to die. So I don't know where it starts, but I'm going to set a boundary somewhere where I can make sure they're not touching the border of this mountain. I don't know for sure where the border is, but I'm going to build a fence somewhere that I am positive it's a safe distance from the border. Because I don't want anybody to even touch it. If they do, they die. Now, I don't know how many cubits extended from the actual border to where Moses set the boundaries. I, I don't know. But I can tell you this. I don't believe he went up. I don't believe he scaled halfway up and said, okay, th this is the point. You can't go any further than this. Because God said, if you touch the border, you die. Right? 
So if Moses had sent, set the fence halfway up, I'm telling you, people would have died. Are you following me? So it's up to Moses. I got to pick out a place that I feel like this is safe for the people that I'm leading. That as long as they don't go any farther than this, nobody's going to die. Are you following me? And I'm telling you, this is what God puts upon the shoulders of the ministry today. Now, now listen to me, church. This is why you, you can be in this church and, and the standard is at a certain place. You go down the road, another good one God, Jesus name, apostolic church, power of God's there, but their standard is a little different. You want to know what's going on? Each Moses is trying to find a safe place for that flock. And the distance between the fence and the actual border may differ from church to church. It doesn't mean one is more right than the other. And it certainly doesn't mean one is more righteous than the other. Hallelujah. I've got good friends. I've got men I highly respect that have set a fence for their church. Absolutely no social media whatsoever. And I respect them. If that's where they want to set the boundary, I respect them. I know people will be safe at that boundary. As long as they don't scale the fence. You know, that's always the problem. Wherever you set the fence, there'll be those who go over a fence. But those that will honor the fence, I know they're going to be safe. I've chosen to set a fence somewhere different. But that doesn't make us more liberal than somebody else. I've still got a fence. The boundary is not clearly set in the word of God. Are you understanding me? There's not a clear scripture that says you cannot. And so, at the same time, I know there are certain lines you could cross in that that that, that you're not going to survive spiritually if you cross those lines. I know that. And so we have erected some fences. We have set up some guidelines. We, we do have certain things we ask you not to do. So the fence is different from place to place. But listen, Paul said, don't compare yourselves among yourselves. Don't look at what this church does versus what that church does versus what another church does. For one thing, no two congregations are exactly the same. If, if, if you're a parent and you've raised more than one child, you know even though two children may be raised in the same home, they don't always respond to the exact same forms of discipline. Can I get an amen? Sometimes you have to deal with different children different ways. Well, and, and so it is in the family of God. There are some people that can't handle something. 
And if there's enough of that within the flock, then it may be in the best interest of the flock to just set the fence where nobody does it. All right? But if that's not the problem, then we may still have some safety putting the fence somewhere else. I hope that I'm making sense tonight. I hope that you understand that's why. And listen to me, church. You've got to understand this. You go off to conferences. You go off to meetings. You're going to hear men preach things that are not what's preached here. And, and I'm not telling you to, to, to get an attitude where you're questioning or judging what, what somebody else is preaching. But I'm just saying this. Know who your pastor is. And know the standard that's set for this flock. And you know, if they want to get up and preach something we don't preach, you, you can say amen for their flock. Well, I hope that I'm, I hope that, that I'm, I'm getting across what I feel. It's, there is such a responsibility on my shoulders as a pastor. I'm going to answer to God. I don't have time to go through all these scriptures tonight, but, but Ezekiel 33, God made it very, very clear to Ezekiel, look, if I show you there's danger and you don't cry against it, I'm going to require their blood at your hands. If you know it's going to be dangerous for your people and you don't tell them, Ezekiel, they will die, but I'm requiring their blood at your hands. Now, if you tell them it's dangerous and they don't listen, then their blood's going to be on their own hands. But you've got an obligation that if I show you they're going to be harmed by something, you better warn them. Ezekiel's job was not to make sure that everybody obeyed. His job was to declare the message. And then it's up to every individual whether or not they choose to heed the warning. Hallelujah. It is, it is so important that we grasp this concept. God gives a grave warning to the watchman that is on the wall. Amen. That's Ezekiel 33, verses 1 through 9. We won't take the time um, to, to read all of that tonight. I don't have time. Acts 20, 28. Let's read that. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And so, so here, look, the apostles said, take heed, take heed to yourselves and to the flock, which which God has purchased with his own blood. You know what Paul's saying? He's, you, you better understand the lengths God went to to bring this church into existence. Now, don't be careless and reckless with it. Recognize its value to God, and therefore, take heed. Take heed to yourselves, and take heed to that flock. It's not your flock, it's God's. And the Holy Ghost simply made you an overseer of God's flock. Well, praise God. Amen. First Peter 5, verses 1 through 3. I've got to hurry. 
The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock, Feed of, God, the flock of God, which is among you, and taking the oversight Take thereof. Take oversight thereof. Not by constraint. Not by constraint. But willingly. Willingly. Not for filthy, not lucre, for filthy lucre. But of a ready of a mind. ready mind. Neither as being Don't be a lord God's over heritage, God's heritage, but, but being be an, an example, example to, to the flock. flock. Amen. A pastor knows his people. He knows what they can handle. He knows what would be a stumbling block to them. And so he's got to be granted the liberty to put up some fences where they don't already exist in the scripture. Does everybody understand that? You've got to be able to have some liberty to establish some guidelines for the sake of the flock. Praise God. Number four, number four, and, and this is going to blow some minds, and I've got to hurry here, but number four is tradition sets standards. Now, that's a strange thing for me to say, as much time as I spend teaching against tradition. But, but hear me, I teach against tradition that contradicts Scripture. Not all tradition is bad. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 Therefore, brethren, stand fast, stand fast and, hold the, and hold the tradition which you have been taught, you've been taught whether, by word, whether by word or our, or epistle. our epistle. Hold the traditions which we've taught you. Men of God that have prayed, that have sought God, have come to some conclusions as I talked about. Things in the past of of. of Pentecost here in North America where men didn't really have a good reason that they preached against it. They just knew what they felt. And many of them, many of them with one voice stood up and cried against some things. And I'm going to tell you, we don't need to be quick to just throw those things away. We don't need to be quick to just start removing the landmarks that they've set. There are some things that, yes, they are traditions among us, but they're traditions that have been handed down to us by praying men, by godly men. And listen to me, and I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it, uh, regardless of how some might take it, I'm going to tell you, don't, don't let some young Elder Westberg would say, dude, or cat, some young cat come along that thinks he knows everything and convince you that the traditions our elders have stood for for half a century or a century or more. Don't let somebody come along and say it doesn't make sense. It's not necessary. We don't need that anymore. We better think twice before we start abandoning the things that men of God have stood for for years. Because it's a slippery slope. You hear me and I feel the Holy Ghost while I'm preaching right now. It's a dangerous path to start walking down when we say we don't need this anymore. Well, we don't need that anymore. Well, this is kind of outdated. and Well, that's kind of outdated. And we start throwing things away. I'm going to tell you, there is no stopping point. We'd better just be thankful that the fence is there. We may not understand why it's there, but it may be that somewhere down the road we'll understand it. 
the Holy Ghost may show us, but he may not show us until we get to the other side. But I'm going to tell you, I'd rather live this life with a fence that's too far out than to constantly be walking on the precipice and take a chance on falling over. You hear me? I'd rather be safe than sorry. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourself. Withdraw yourself from every, every brother, brother that, walketh that walketh disorderly. And not after, and not the, after tradition, the tradition which he received of us. Do you see this? Do you understand Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica and he's telling them, brethren, there are some traditions that we'd better just hang on to. In fact, you better feel so strongly about these traditions that you withdraw yourself from brothers that won't walk after these traditions. They're headed in the wrong direction. Well, hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Now I praise you, brethren. I praise you, brethren. That you remember me. You remember me. And keep the ordinances. And keep, now, now, King James says ordinances. But the literal Greek word here is the traditions. As I delivered them. As I delivered them. I praise you, brethren, because you remember me in all things. And you keep the traditions that I gave you. The, the English Standard Version says, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. God's Word translation says, I praise you for always thinking about me and for carefully following the traditions that I handed down to you. Daniel wouldn't eat the king's meat because... They had a tradition. It's been offered to idols. I'm not going to eat it. That's a tradition, but I'm going to honor it. Well, praise God. The Rechabites, Jeremiah 35, verse 14. Look at this. The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For unto this day they drink none, but obey their father's commandment. Notwithstanding, I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but ye hearkened not unto me. You know, if I had more time, God actually told Jeremiah, go down to the house of the Rechabites and set wine in front of them and tell them to drink and see what they do. And so he did. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. We, we don't drink wine here. Why? Because our father, Rechab, set a tradition for us. That his family would not touch the stuff. And God said, now Jeremiah, I want you to write to the house of Israel and let them know, here's a group of people, all they have is a tradition. But they honor that tradition more faithfully than you honor my word. Well, hallelujah. Now again, if the tradition contradicts scripture, you stand with scripture, right? This is why I said when I began, the number one precept, the word of God sets a standard. So when we start talking about traditions that go against scripture, no, 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 scripture's always right. 
But if it's something that maybe the scripture doesn't deal with, but this has been a tradition that's been given to us by men that have prayed, people that have sought God, people that have had the best interest of the church in mind, let's not just throw those things away. Let's let tradition set some standards. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Let's... Let's not be quick to discredit traditional standards. Oh, number five, I'm trying to hurry. Number five, my time is up. Give me just a couple of minutes and I'll, I'll finish up. Number five, so, so we've got the word of God, spirit of God, the man of God, tradition. These things all set standards. Number five, culture sometimes set standards. Now again, this can be taken out of context, but let me explain it to you, all right? Under, for example, under some cultures, when you light a candle in church, in that culture, you're praying to the dead. And so if, if you were to go into that culture and say, now tonight we're having a candlelight service, that would not be a good thing. And so the culture of that people has to set a standard because of what it represents to the people. Are you understanding me? Now again, I have to deal with this in Africa because when I start dealing with certain things, certain holding standards, a lot of times everyone say, well, but it's our culture. Well, I understand. But when your culture contradicts Scripture, you go with Scripture. Now, if it's not contrary, for instance, the lighting of candles, the scripture doesn't say it's wrong for us to light candles. The scripture wouldn't condemn us right here, North America, the heart of America, having a candlelight service. Scripture wouldn't condemn that here. But there are some places you wouldn't do it because of what it represents to that culture. All right? Culture has to set standards. Paul dealt with these problems in regards to eating meat offered to idols. 1 Corinthians 8, Romans chapter 14. Um, the culture itself dictated certain standards which the church had set in order to remain free of reproach. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. All right, going down to verse 7. For none of us liveth to himself. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, is that chapter 8, verse 7? Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. Yeah. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. All right, now we could read on through. But here's what Paul's saying. Paul, Paul is saying, look, we know that an idol's nothing. And, and if they've offered this meat to an idol, that idol's nothing. Right? So, so what, what have they done when they offered their meat to that idol? That idol's not anything. So Paul's saying there's no real sin in it. But there are those that have come from a culture where those idols were their gods. And they spent years sacrificing, praying to those idols. And if they know the meat you're eating was once offered to that 
God they used to pray to, that could become offensive to them. And so Paul said, there's no sin in what you're doing, but culture dictates that you're going to honor their perception to keep yourself free from reproach. All right, why? Romans 14, 7. For none of us liveth because to himself. none of us lives to himself, and no man, and dies, no man dies to himself. Praise God. Let me, and let, I'm, I really, I'm almost finished, but, but listen, even today, even here, there are certain dress styles, certain, certain hairstyles that speak of, 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 of lifestyles that the church does not want to be a part of, right? And so because of our culture, we have to set standards, because if we dress in a certain way, then we're going to be identified with that culture. You know, if I put on solid black shirt and solid black pants and black socks, black shoes, get a long black trench coat, black hat, then people would identify me with that whole goth culture. Right? Now, is it a sin to wear black? No. But I don't want to be identified with that culture. You understand? So, so we set certain standards to keep us from being identified in the wrong way. I don't want to look like the world. I don't want to be identified as the world. I don't want to be thrown into the same uh, uh, group as the world. Look, look, I'm telling you, it's becoming more and more important. Th this world is more and more going to this whole unisex concept. There's no difference between men and women. I'm going to tell you, there is a difference. There will always be a difference. And we as a church need to maintain that difference. We need to be careful when we pick up clothing off the rack and make sure, men, that it doesn't look effeminate in any way. And make sure, women, that it doesn't look masculine in any way. Hallelujah. It's, I'm going to tell you, it's going to get harder and harder. Because they're doing their best to remove those lines. They really are. They're doing their best to remove the lines in, in everything. So we got to be careful. We have to set. So number, number five, number five is that culture sets standards. And number six, and I'm, I'm going to close. I've got some more scriptures here, but, but I'm, I'm going to close with number six. Is that the individual has to set some standards. Now, now, the word of God sets standards we cannot negotiate. The spirit of God then comes along and sets standards for us that may not be clearly defined in scripture, but the spirit's leading us, guiding us, and we have to do that. We've got to let the man of God set some standards. Then there's some things that are, that are just tradition to us, and we need to hang on to those things. There are some things that culture dictates to us. 
that within our culture, these things are not accepted by and large. Or within our culture, if you do this, you're going to be lumped in with this group. and We don't want to be lumped in with that group. And so we, we do that. But, but after all that, there are just times that you, as an individual, have to have some standards of your own. Now, again, don't misunderstand me. It's not a standard that would contradict everything else we've said to this point. And that's where somebody says, well, it's not my conviction. It's not, it's not, I don't have a conviction against that. Look, if the Bible says don't do it, it doesn't matter whether you have a conviction or not. In fact, if you don't have a conviction and the Bible says don't, you got a problem. When you can violate the Bible and not feel convicted over it, you've got a problem. The Spirit of God says don't, it doesn't matter. That is conviction. The man of God says don't. You see, we, we can't just throw this out and make this the only category for setting standards. But I'm talking about we've come through all these other things, then there may be a few things that you as an individual have got to set a standard. Now, it, it, it just by way of example, and, and really this maybe should have even gone, come under the man of God setting a standard, but, but, but in my first pastorate, um, there was a man that, that um, I heard preach several times, was very, very impressed by his preaching. He was quite the preacher, had a real touch of God on his life. And um, many people that I knew and respected were using him, and, and I invited him to come preach for us. Well, he, he um, I think he played the banjo, and he was really into bluegrass-style music, which I'm not a huge fan of myself, and uh, was even less so back then. I can tolerate it a bit more now than I could when I was in my 20s. But, but um, he came in one night, and uh, he was going to preach, and he, he starts playing his bluegrass and singing with his country twang, and, and he sings several songs, and, and uh, I didn't think anything about it. You know, I, like I said, I don't really enjoy it that much, but I didn't, it didn't bother me for him to be doing it. Um, but after service, one of the ladies in the church came to me, and she said, Pastor, I don't even know, I don't, I don't know how to say this, but I couldn't worship God while he was singing. She said, I was saved out of a bar room where that was the exact style of music that my favorite bar played all the time. And she said, the whole time he was playing, I was just having flashbacks of what I used to be and, and what I used to be involved in. And I, I couldn't listen to the words. I couldn't, it, it just, it just bothered me. Now, I didn't make a big deal out of it. I didn't, I didn't invite him back. But, but you understand, that was a standard she set for herself because of her ties to that in the past. There are just times when you have to set a standard. I've known of men who played in, in bars and honky-tonks and 
when they came to church, they laid the music down. At least for a while. They just they didn't want any part of it. Not because there's anything wrong with music per se, but for them, it was, it was too much of a pull to their old life. And they had to set a standard. You know, I can sit down and play a game of, of, of skip bow or rook or uno or whatever's out there. It doesn't bother me. But you let somebody come in who spent years as a gambler. And they may not want to pick up a deck of any kind of cards. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are just times you have got to be able to set some standards in your own life. It may not be what the rest of the church holds to, but you know your weaknesses. Now, don't try to impose those standards on everybody else. Don't expect everybody else to live by your conviction. Don't get mad because the pastor won't preach your conviction. All right? But let God deal with you to set standards in your life, in your home, that may not be spelled out anywhere else. But you know you need this added protection. For your spiritual safety. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. I, I, I don't have time to, I've got more here, but I don't have time for it. Let's, let's, let's stand tonight as they sing. I want to tell you, I don't ever want to get to the place that I resent holiness standards.